this is Mike Dilt with the Relax Back UK Show. On the Relax Back UK Show, we explore all kinds of health topics, so keep listening and enjoy the ride. Hi, and thank you for joining me, Mike Dilt, with this week's Relax Back UK Show. Interesting question this week. Why do we do what we do? A very difficult question in any area of human endeavour. Why on earth do we behave as we do? And I guess if I knew the answer, I'd, I'd be a millionaire, a billionaire. Probably, you know, I'd be whatever I wanted to be. This episode of Relax Back UK, I delve into this topic with respect to cancer. There are quite a few screening programmes and opportunities to get things checked out if they don't seem quite right, but we don't all get involved with them. Um, and I explore some of the reasons why uh, and why we might be just rather reluctant to get involved. And how systems might be best set up to support um, engagement with opportunities to diagnose cancer earlier um, and live better with cancer. Dr. Sammy Quaife is a behavioural scientist and studies the why we do what we do question. Uh, we're also joined by Jackie, who is a cancer patient advocate and a patient herself. And also what we mustn't forget is that in some communities, cancer is still regarded as a dirty disease and you, you must have done something to deserve it. So please do stay with us for a fascinating discussion. Thank you. The City of London Major Centre is a world-class hub for cancer biotherapeutics, bringing together researchers from four of London's cancer research centres, and they are University College London, King's College London, Bart's Queen Mary University of London, and the Francis Crick Institute. So the discussion that's about to happen and discussions I've had in the past with scientists from the City of London Centre, they really do bring the big brains working on cancer in the world really, to the show. So with that build up, let's meet the guests. My guests today are Sammy Quaife, who is a, a scientist, and I'm gonna ask in a moment exactly what sort of scientist uh, she is, and Jackie, who's um, a cancer patient advocate. So the information I have on you, Sammy, is that you are a behavioral scientist. So uh, the first question really has, has gotta be, what is that? What do behavioural scientists do? Yeah, um, so they are really interested in human behaviour across lots of different areas um, and really things that affect that behaviour in your biology, in your psychology, in your social environment, kind of broadly speaking, anything that affects behaviour and how we might change behaviour and where it's a good thing to do that. Um, so what, why we do what we do? Exactly. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a psychologist by background um, with sort of training in health psychology. So specifically psychology around sort of um, health and disease and things like that. Right. OK. And so if, if we do get ill, might what we do about it and what habits we have that might make us get ill in the first place, that, that kind of thing. All right. So how how and why is that relevant to, to cancer, which is kind of the topic here? Yeah, well, it's. Um, really relevant because a lot of the ways in which we can support people in um, having better outcomes from cancer um, are through supporting 
you know, positive behaviour and um, enabling sort of access to those different opportunities. So we look at um, behaviour on a population level. Um, often psychologists are sort of typically pictured in a in a sort of counselling room, <laughs> working one to one with someone. But we look at um, how sort of different populations behave um, and how systems might be best set up to support um, engagement with opportunities to diagnose cancer earlier um, and live better with cancer. Right. So you're talking big data here. Yeah, well, big and small. We we do lots of studies um, with uh, understanding kind of in-depth views from people as well, because they're often really rich sources of information that we can use to understand behaviour as well as sort of the, the big numbers in order to see how common sort of behaviours might be. Yeah. All right. So let, let's sort of shrink that down a little bit and with kind of your knowledge and what you've gleaned by um, figuring out how we all work uh, make that more relevant to cancer because a big thing about cancer um, I should just explain right I, I am I'm not a scientist I'm, I'm for the purpose of this I you know I'm Joe Public I, I, I don't have any more knowledge than uh, um, anyone else and considerably less knowledge than than you two I suggest but a big thing about surviving cancer uh, is, is getting to know about it early. So do you sort of look at how on earth can Joe Public or, or Mike Dilk be persuaded to think, hmm, maybe I need to go and see the doctor. I'm a bit worried about this. Or if there's some kind of screening program that is offered uh, to try and persuade Mike Dilk uh, to get involved. Yeah, exactly that. So my and my research is really focused in cancer screening and specifically um, cancer screening um, for lung cancer. Um, but exactly this, how do we support people in considering a screening offer? It's not the case that we necessarily persuade them because it's someone's choice as to whether they want to take part in screening or not. But we want to make sure that the way that um, programmes communicate screening and offer screening is suitable for everybody across the population and kind of supports um, access if they want to. And the other side of it, which I do less work in, but lots of colleagues work in, is, is supporting people in actually noticing that they have a symptom of cancer. Often early symptoms of cancer can be very similar to symptoms of other things um, and really difficult to notice. You might know something is in theory, a, a symptom of cancer, but not suspect it perhaps when, when you do have it. Um, so helping to support people in recognising those symptoms and feeling confident and able to go to primary care, who um, are obviously the first port of call in terms of supporting um, and sure. understanding what might be might be wrong. So, so there's kind of two avenues to look at. There's the screening process. And uh, if, you, if people are slightly worried or they notice is something slightly different, sort of getting them to think about doing something about that what what you know whatever it might be so let's start off with the screening so i'm i'm 56 and i i can't remember what it was maybe when i turned 55 i got an envelope through the post from the nhs uh to do with um bowel screening i was invited to um put a bit of poo in this little plastic container and send it back and uh my my initial thought giving given this opportunity is why wouldn't you? You know, if 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 you're presented with a chance to find out something that could save your life, um, I I did it the next day. Um, now, I freely admit that I might be a bit weird, um, 
why doesn't everyone just do it the next day and and and, and go along? So actually, let, let's bring in it. In, in Jackie, the patient advocate at, at this point, um, is this something that um, people you talk to, uh, other cancer uh, patients chat about? I suspect there might be uh, something to do with uh, denial. Um, I know I, I put off having a test or going to see my doctor for six months. Um, everything turned out fine, but... Um, in that six months, well, you know, all sorts could have happened. Um, also, do you find, uh, Sammy, that there are differences between men and women in how they approach these things? Um, do more women go for screening um, as opposed to men? Do more more women do the bowel cancer screening? I don't know. What's what's your view? Yeah, and that's so interesting, Jackie, that sort of idea of denial and um I'm always interested in kind of unpicking what that is because often it's people are worried about the consequences or they're worried that something might be wrong and and cancer has had such a sort of for good reason and for you know people's experience of it terrible reputation but actually the outcomes from early detection are often so good that 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 sort of fear kind of ends up or denial sort of ends up leading you to wait longer whereas actually if if people were had sort of seen more positive outcomes, they might be quicker to go forwards. But um, the question around men and women is a really interesting one. Um, the only cancer screening programme that's offered to everybody who's eligible in the UK to both sort of sexes is bowel cancer screening. Um, and actually, I'm not quite sure of the evidence in that context. So I know that... Um, they were trying out a different kind of bowel cancer screening previously, which used um, something called a flexible sigmoidoscopy, which is a sort of tube put into your colon to look for very, very early um, cancers or actually pre-cancers. Um, and I know there was a, the, a gender difference there, but um, typically kind of in other health interventions, men sort of get a bit of a bad press for not coming forwards for, for them. Um, but yeah, in certainly in lung cancer screening, we we've seen slightly um, men being slightly less likely to come forward for screening, but actually it's often it's the same. Okay. I was wondering as well whether you found differences in response in ethnic groups. I noticed in your papers that uh, the numbers of people from different uh, groups and from different cultures was too small to analyse, um, but. Of course, there are taboos, aren't there, in some cultures against doing that sort of test. Yeah. And did you, you, you when you created the leaflet um, mentioned in uh, one of these, the lung screen uptake trial, was it? Yeah. Um, did you give the same leaflet to everybody regardless, or, or did you design different leaflets for different communities? Yeah, and so that that just as a little bit of background, that was a study that developed some information that was designed to reduce um, inequalities in participation in lung cancer screening. And specifically, we we're interested in making sure that people who experienced deprivation um, weren't less likely to, to attend and people with um, long-term tobacco dependence weren't less likely. Um, and so we designed that leaflet really to address some of the concerns that we had observed through our research about, about lung cancer, about it being something that can't be treated, 
when it is very treatable to an early stage about treatment not being very tolerable when actually often it's um can just sort of be I say just but is keyhole surgery and removes a small bit of lung so we sort of tried to address concerns around um stigma around fear of being diagnosed and around treatment um we use the same leaflet for everybody because of the way the system works so invitation to screening typically come from a central system um and you know actually the leaflet we can't we didn't we didn't have the evidence to know who which leaflet to give who anyway. In the future, though, we're really interested in how we might sort of tailor the information that goes to different populations to sort of suit them best. But in that scenario, yeah. we just were, were sort of comparing that against against a control. So Jackie, you, you, you've kind of introduced a very interesting topic there. I kind of cut you off a little bit, but um, as, as far as the different sorts of people that might put themselves forward to be uh, part of part of a program or a, a screening test. Um, what have what have you found, Sammy? As far as um, well, there are some very broad things, you know, different geographical areas and different socio-economic areas. Um, I mean, those two subjects in themselves are quite large. But have have you found any sort of generalizations? Well, I've I've been. Oh, sorry. You you first, Sammy. Either of you. Yeah, right, Sammy first. Oh, I'll I'll go first then. So um yes, we see across the board, across cancer screening programs, um, that those living within communities experiencing higher deprivation are less likely to participate. Um we also see inequalities based on ethnic background. Um I my research is focused in lung cancer screening, which isn't something that's yet implemented across the UK. We hope it will be, but not yet. Um, but we've recently published some research suggesting that actually people who are from um, white European backgrounds, such as those in uh, Polish and Turkish communities are less likely to, to take part. So um, we do unfortunately see these same health inequalities persisting in cancer screening and also in sort of you know, health interventions that improve or prevent um, disease more widely. And um, so how about the, you know, that that's the sort of people that don't come forward. I suppose the, the, the really difficult question, it could be, you know, well, why? Why, why wouldn't they? Um, any, any thoughts well, on, on that? Either well, of you, no. say Jackie. Some, some cultures really regard things like colonoscopy as being a, a bit taboo. Um, and men will require uh, colonoscopy, colonoscopy teams uh, to be all male, and women will require their teams to be all female. Um, and it's a very difficult process for them to go through and endure. And also what we mustn't forget is that in some communities, cancer is still regarded as a dirty disease, and you, you must have done something to deserve it. Um, that cult, that uh, view prevailed until what the 1950s and 60s here in the UK, didn't it? And we need to, well, what is it? One in four people are going to get it, be diagnosed with it. So perhaps we need to change that aspect of the culture as well. Yeah, and I think um, so. That a lot of my research is really focused on that that um, understanding why inequalities in participation exist and like I say in the context of lung cancer but working with um, researchers sort of across different disease areas and we tend to sort of categorize 
um, them in sort of three big groups, which helps me anyway to wrap my head. One is sort of around motivation. So as Jackie was saying, kind of cultural, historical taboos or concerns or fears or worries around cancer as a disease. And understandably, when you've experienced someone in your close family network or friends or whoever go through um, go through a cancer experience that, you know, was distressing, then those experiences really loom largely in your mind when you're being invited for these sorts of things. Um, the other um, the other sort of area is around actually people's capability to attend and that and as well their opportunities. So um, some populations might not be able, you might not be able to take time off work. You might have other things going on in your life that are really difficult to manage, caring responsibilities, other health conditions. Um, you might, your post might not get to you if you're, um, you don't have, you know, uh, if you're living in a, in a large group of accommodation where post is sort of not as reliably received, you know, that you might not be able to get there. Um, there's so many different factors that affect um, you know, you might not understand the language in which it comes that, that could affect whether or not you attend. So we try and look quite holistically at things that help to sort of address misperceptions or concerns around cancer, but also that make sure that it, the screening program is as accessible as possible in terms of getting there and being able to, to take the time to do so and being able to prioritise that within your own kind of life as well when there may be other stresses and, and things going on where you know, this is early detection. So it's, it's not like you, this is for people without symptoms. So you might put that off further down the line if you have other things um, that you feel are important to do. Um, so, so yeah. There, there really are an awful lot of, of variables. You know, there's, there's, there's not sort of one reason fits all. Um, but you, you, you said your expertise is, is more in the lung cancer uh, side of things. One thought that I had, um, is if, if, if someone's an ex-smoker, um, there might be a, a, a feeling or a worry of, of, of being judged. And I, and I can imagine that might really be the case with, uh, you know, people, people like me, you know. Uh, so I'm, I'm a white guy, in my, I'm, in, I'm 56, and I can imagine that being a concern of people in my sort of uh, sphere. Um, is, is that something you, you've come across? Yeah, and we find actually that people who, um, so if, so lung cancer is often, lung cancer screening is offered in some some regions of England through a programme that NHS England run, a targeted lung health check programme. But like I say, we're hoping that it will be rolled out across the UK um, in the future. Um, actually, what does the screening consist of? What is the test? I don't even know that. Yeah, so it's a a CT scan, but it's a low dose CT scan. So it that just means it uses less radiation than a CT scan that's used for the purpose of diagnosing, for example. So, so it's not really an unpleasant experience. You know, it doesn't hurt. It, it, it'll no. take you a couple of hours. You know, it will take you half a morning or something. You're in there for a few minutes. It's and the CT is not a tunnel. Um, people often are concerned it's yeah, an, yeah. an MRI yeah. scan. So it just circles around the chest. It's There's no injections or dye. It's, it's very quick. Um, and straightforward um so yeah it's but it is and often um now there are some sort of screening sites that offer screening within mobile units so they may be cl closer by too um but yeah what we've observed consistently is that people um it's so screening is only offered to people at, who meet a certain risk for lung cancer um 
and so typically those who have a long-term history of tobacco smoking either either now or in the past um and we find that those who used to smoke are far more likely to attend than those who currently smoke um and again the sort of issues around blame and stigma um are really persisting that's what we've observed in our research which is it's is awful because of course it's a dependence it's an addiction um it's something that is you know cigarettes are a product that are designed to keep keep you um dependent and keep you coming back so yes. it's um it's you know lung screening services completely understand that and want to support people and there's you know should be no question about whether or whether or not they've smoked but yeah that is a sort of prevailing factor that unfortunately um people feel feel blame for which they should i'm sure when people go for the this uh, the screening test that they get a very warm reception and welcome you know practically even if they arrive with a cigarette in hand you know I, i'm sure um, they are very well uh, catered to yeah absolutely yeah it's complete understanding and support um you know they i like your men- sorry i liked your mention of mobile units because when i was a child there used to be mobile x-ray um, mm. you, um just sort of pop yourself in a major uh, shopping centre and people would queue up to check that they hadn't got TB. Right, uh, yeah. So you can tell how long ago that was. You've got to make it easy for people, haven't you? Yes. So, you know, yeah. parking in the middle of Sainsbury's or Tesco's car park just might be a really good idea. But, of course, if you're limiting your audience to calling for people who are at risk, that might be quite difficult yeah and um it has you know moving and like you say when i was talking earlier about sort of of course motivation all factors and attitudes and perceptions are really really important but actually just making making things easy to do we think <laughs> that is such an important thing in all in all our lives you know we're all busy and making something as easy as possible to do is often a, a good step in the right direction um yeah. but yeah there, there are some um programs which i think have been very successful uh, and essentially saved a lot of lives and I, i'm thinking probably breast cancer screening that has that been the most successful one in the uk that's that i that's my that's my thought on it um oh, i do you know i don't i can't, i can't say with any certainty because i'm not really sure about the statistics around it but certainly um you know breast cancer screening and cervical cancer screening are very well established programs and um have you know brilliant outcomes in terms of women being diagnosed early so yeah and of course the new um well not new i suppose anymore but the hpv vaccination that um prevents cervical cancer by um you know preventing um hpv infection that's that's you know hugely huge game changer in cervical cancer so and of so course other cancers as well are prevented aren't they because quite a few cancers are uh, promoted by hpv aren't they yes in- yeah yeah they yeah. are so, yeah. uh, other cancers will be uh, you know stopped as well which yeah. is a good thing yeah it's fantastic so, so those vaccines are, are a good idea sorry those, those vaccines are a good idea HPV vaccines, yes, yeah. <laughs> MIV, definitely. Yeah. So m- m- I suppose one uh, thought could be, why, why have those programmes uh, been so successful? And uh, they, uh, I don't have the statistics, but my thought is actually they've been fairly successful across all sorts of people in the UK, all different regions, uh, all different socioeconomic 
uh, areas and different types of people. Um, they seem to have cut across everything and had great success. Um, this is an impossible question, so I, I kind of apologise in advance, uh, Sammy. But you yeah. know, does anyone know why that is? <laughs> yeah. So actually, well, actually, there are the inequalities persist in those programmes too. Um, okay. Yeah. So they, I mean, they have been successful in terms of the kind of overall number of people attending. As I say, lung cancer isn't a thing across the UK yet, but they have had much better participation and still do. Um, but yeah, those same inequalities are, are persisting, unfortunately. And actually, even with with um, regard to your smoking history, people who um, people who are currently smoking are less likely to attend those as well. So yeah, we see, like, this is what I was sort of saying earlier. We're sort of seeing the same persistence of of inequalities. Um, Cervical cancer screening has been very, um, very popular as well, hasn't it? You know, and, and being very successful. It's, uh, even more so when somebody who's in the media eye, such as Jay Goody, gets it. And that prompts a lot of women to think, oh, yes, I haven't been, have I? Perhaps it's time I went and that's my doctor. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we were talking earlier about the reasons um, why or why not people make take part and those being really complicated but actually how you how you change or kind of support people in attending is really tricky but stories like that loom really large in people's minds because it's a person that you know and that you can relate to that's gone through that and it's often a much more powerful tool for communicating than the leaflet that says you know outcomes are better with early detection that kind of line is brilliant but the impact that that has on someone's behaviour can be um, can be less than a sort of powerful case study like like Jade's. Mm. Well, yes, busy mums, you know, taking children to school, cooking the dinner, and what have you. Mm. It, it's, it's, I do remember it's difficult to get time off. Yeah, you know, yeah. To, uh, go and deal with your own health. Yes, yeah. Let, let's just for a moment park the screenings to one side, and and at the start we were talking about people if they're kind of slightly concerned about something something seems not quite right going to the doctor going to the gp or or whatever and getting it checked out which is another kind of vital part of early diagnosis um we're still pretty bad at that generally speaking oh is that is that the is that the the case sorry i think well, probably, sorry go on jackie from a patient point of view we aren't told when we've had our cancer and we're cured, hopefully, you know, we're told, OK, you can go and live your life now. Um, we aren't told what to watch for and we do need to be vigilant and look for signs. But what signs do we watch for? Now, there's a woman called Jo Taylor who runs a breast cancer charity. She's designed a beautiful set of images. Where, what to look for? Do you have uh, have you started to cough? Um, after breast cancer, this is to detect spread. Uh, have you started to cough? Are you having aches in your bones in a particular place, all pretty well all the time? And they're very valuable, the, these images. They show you what to look for and what to be aware of. Yeah. Now, if we all had those for whatever cancer we have, I think people might go earlier then as well. It, yeah. Is that something that in your sort of professional uh, sphere you you 
get asked about or, or deal with something? Um, yeah, it's it, and it's that's really interesting um, way of supporting people to kind of know which symptoms to to look for and and like I say, communicate a good tool for communicating that. Um, I think just to say, GPs do a fantastic job in in seeing us um, and you know helping us with the whole array of you know millions of conditions and things that we we go in to see them with, um, and I suppose when you have a early symptom some it's difficult both from your point of view as an individual to notice that that's not just you know if you're thinking about a persistent cough well you know have I just had a chest infection or you know is it cold or whatever some of these symptoms seem quite benign and often are um so you know if if the number of those symptoms that a GP sees on a daily basis is huge and picking out the person that actually it's an early sign of cancer is a very challenging thing to do that they they you know do very well but it, it we can't get away from the fact that it is a very difficult to do in every single circumstance so um it's there are challenges on both sides um there are um as Jackie was sort of saying earlier reasons why you might not immediately want to go if you're worried that you do have a symptom if you're concerned that actually you're going to have some bad news or you're not you don't yet realize that actually the quicker you go actually the more that you can be offered so it's I guess there are sort of similarities in terms of how people might think about going for screening in terms of how they might think about going going to their GP first of all but it often is some of these symptoms can be really vague and difficult to to recognize yourself even if you know right this is a symptom um, and you go to your GP or, or you don't go because you think, wow, I've, you know, had that cold the other week or whatever. And it's probably just that. Um, so I guess it's if in doubt, definitely go to see your GP. Um, and if at that point in time, something isn't resolved, it's just about keeping an eye. And, and often the GP will say, you know, if it's not, if it doesn't change in two weeks, come back and definitely then going back rather than thinking that you're bothering the GP as there was some research done um, that compared sort of different countries and actually in the UK people are really worried about wasting their doctor's time um, yes. that, yeah, doctors... that doesn't surprise me um, <laughs> yeah the, you know for all for all, all sorts of reasons but I I, I, I think that often and it's yeah it's, it's crazy really yeah yeah it is um, and you know doctors are really busy but they also you know every time you see any communication they they say come and see us if you're worried if something's not right for you but yeah you yeah. sort of almost feel like you have to kind of ration it a bit so you're not taking up their time certainly so i mean it seems to boil down to kind of communication clarity of communication and ease of communication so kind of with that in mind sammy if, if people want to find out about cancer screening specifically um lung cancer screening but screening in general uh, or if they want to find out and i don't know if, if there's a list of uh, well you know i'm getting up to pee in the middle of the night for men you know the, the classic one but sort of symptoms like that that they can look at and think oh hang on a moment that might be me perhaps i should ask some more questions What's the next stop? Where, where can people get some really good, solid, but simple information? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I have to say, if, if anyone's worried about any sort of symptom, I mean, as you know, I'm not a medical doctor. The first point of call is your your GP. Um, 
in terms of sources of information, um, NHS website has clear information about cancer screening programmes that are available and symptoms of different cancers. Cancer Research UK have really good information on their website about um, different symptoms and availability of cancer screening programmes. Lung cancer screening is, like I say, not something that's offered across the UK at the moment. So, um, but information about um, the NHS England's targeted lung health check programme is available on the Roy Castle Lung Cancer Foundation website, for example, there they're a really good um, source of um, information and, and resources for people who are concerned about lung cancer. Okay. And, and Jackie, <laughs> earlier on, you, you mentioned specifically kind of a, a, a list of things to look out for if you had had uh, breast cancer and uh, for things to look out after that, which was a, a very specialised one. But what, where, where can people find that? And Well, if you um, Google Joe Taylor or look for Joe Taylor on Twitter, um, you'll find uh, that her website and uh, find her, um, her information images. Um, but as I say, it's only for breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think that approach would be very good for many other cancers. So that's 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 a gap in the uh, in the information that's uh, potentially required, possibly. Yes, I, I think everybody means well. And we can go and live our life free of cancer, but it's not like that. You do need to be vigilant and watch for odd symptoms that might might alert you to the fact you need to go and see your GP. Yeah, okay. But certainly, if you're invited for a screening and you can go, please go. Yes, you do. Yeah, right. and although <laughs> definitely, um, but I guess from um, my perspective as well, go and have a chat and have a talk about it with the other just even if you're not sure you can go along and have a conversation with the health professional that's offering it to you it's not something you have to do it's an you know it should be an informed choice but um obviously it's it can find cancer early so if you're not sure then someone's always there to have a conversation with you about it and of course there are forums aren't there uh, that offer support um in this sort of instance i mean breast cancer now um has a forum where Patients and people who aren't patients can uh, register, and uh, they there are nurses there who can offer advice to you, which will probably be going to see your GP. But you know that's fine. So the, and the, also, the, oh, sorry, the the, 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 the the people that are giving the advice are knowledgeable and know what they're doing. Yes, yeah, they are. Important. They're trained, properly trained. Yeah. And of course, for breast cancer screening, um, I think women can still walk into screening centres, can't they? I'm and if that's sure. the case, that's that's very helpful. So I, I, I think really that the, the summary has got to be be aware and do your best to, you know, uh, find out um, and about the different symptoms. And if you're invited to a, a screening situation, think seriously about uh, about going I think that's probably the best uh, summary we can uh, come up with and I, I can see Sammy and Jackie you're both nodding your heads uh, <laughs> yes. so I, I, I think it probably at least for me to say thank you very much indeed for taking uh, a few minutes to chat about this because it is an important topic oh pleasure so, yeah. thanks so much for um yeah the opportunity and great to meet you both
Please do remember, if you are listening on the podcast version, to subscribe and like the show. Many thanks to my guests uh, this week. They were Dr. Sammy Quaif and Jackie, cancer patient advocate. And of course, thank you to you for listening and have a healthy week until next week. That was the Relaxed Back UK show with me, Mike Dill. Thank you for listening and please do join us again next time.